In this episode of Wisdom Talks, John Barter has us reflect on the question, if I only had a short time to live, how would I want to spend my time? John has us understand that such a question teaches us about living consciously, being mindful, being wise and living with joy. So as it happens, life is happening. But uh, there will come a time when life is not happening, at least for us. So are we ready? Life gets serious. <laughs> yes, are we ready? Or if not yet, what would we need to do to be ready for the end, <clears throat> the end of time, the end of days for us? Mm-hmm. And not to uh, see this as any morbid type of question or consideration or reflection, but something which maybe fills us with more motivation to life whilst we have life, whilst life is happening. And maybe even to consider that uh, the preparation for the end of time, the end of days, the end of life is the same, same that we would have to live more fully into life. Maybe they are the same thing, or at least a degree of overlap for that. Certainly the, uh, the Buddha pointed out that uh, one of the fundamental characteristics of existence is impermanence. Sabe sankara anicca, all things are transient or impermanent. Um, all things are dukkha, sabe sankara dukkha, so there's an element of uh, unsatisfactoriness bound into this uncertainty. Sabesankara anatta, all things do not have any permanence of self within them. So an appreciation of the non-personal aspect of all things. However, in this realm of experience, there is an apparent sense of me traveling through time, apparently on a journey, and uh, there is that appreciation that that journey will end for us, even though that may not be ultimate reality or ultimate truth, but it appears to be the case, and certainly that ending does fill people with uh, angst and fear even thinking about it which is why often people don't think about it. And then when it does happen, maybe to someone else, maybe even to ourselves with a a diagnosis of some illness, maybe a terminal illness then, there's a sense of like uh, not knowing how to deal with that, accommodate that, relate to that, how to feel about that information. So it does create great, great unease. And yet, and yet it is... It is so obvious that it's going to be happening. So the fact is, yes, uh, in the relative sense, we we were born, we have been born, we are alive, and uh, yes, at one at some time we won't be. Also, the fact that um, if we get to be old enough, 
then uh, we will experience, hopefully, the passing of our grandparents. Maybe, uh, maybe some of us uh, have never met them. They may have even died before we were born. But uh, uh, the passing of our grandparents, hopefully, if you die before your grandparents, not such a good thing. <laughs> uh, grandparents, then, um, or even great-grandparents, and then grandparents, and then uh, certainly uncles and aunts, and then also our own parents. Some of us here tonight have already lost our parents. Our parents have died, one or two. And then certainly uh, uh, as, as we continue through our life, uh, that uh, we will experience, if we uh, get old enough, the, the death of um, um, siblings, brothers, sisters, especially if they're older than us, and hopefully they're older than us, friends, and uh, probably the two significant losses in our life uh, will be the, the loss of a loved one, as in the partner, and then the loss of our own life. And hopefully we never have to experience the loss of um, a child or our, our children or our, one of our children. That's very, very sad. But the reality is that uh, these are things that we will experience if we are fortunate enough, if we, if we aren't, or if we don't experience these things, then it means that, um, that our life has not been so long. And certainly the older that our bodies get, then the more people, even people that are younger than us, will die. Like there's a woman that comes on the Thursday morning meditation group. She comes quite regularly. She's 94. So there's probably people that are certainly younger than her that have died, that she knows of. But the strange thing is that um, even though this is, a, this is a fact of life and it's, it's, it's happening and it's going to happen, we don't seem to be taught or educated into how to accommodate this, how to perceive it, how to relate to it, how to... Um, experience it in a way that, that uh, reduces or doesn't cause a whole lot of overwhelm. And it's strange that our education system doesn't, doesn't teach us this, even though it's going to happen. So it, it um, generally has been left to the religious domain of people's lives. So at church or, or whatever religious spiritual domain that one engages upon, to talk about these realities, these truths, these facts, and to help people develop a, a way of accommodating and relating to them. And also then how to live in a way that uh, is more conscious so that that becomes then the preparation for that final time. And again, for us, we, we don't know when that might be. Anyone um, get born with a guarantee? Parents, oh yes, I've got your guarantee. It says you, you would live for this amount of time. Probably not. They only come with white goods. But even at that, it's like we guarantee it will last, but if it doesn't, we'll get, we'll get you another one, a replacement. But, but again, uh, in, in thinking about this, um, and certainly for myself, I'm not planning on dying any, any day soon, but uh, asking myself, well, 
how prepared am I and um, what would I need what do I need to do and uh, and at the same time what would I instruct others with regards to this question if I didn't have much time left to live what uh, what would I need to do what would I like to do how would I prepare myself and certainly firstly being mindful being mindful living consciously so one is not wasting time that I'm not wasting my time um, or energy with things, with uh, activities, with engagements with people, pursuits that aren't, aren't meaningful, aren't important, aren't worthwhile. So really living mindfully, living consciously, connecting to life, living fully, which is, which is um, what I've been advocating and recommending for anyone, everyone, anyway. So yes, live, live consciously. Be mindful, and therefore we're we're feeling more fulfilled in our life. So it's not so, not just the case that yes, my life is full, but I'm not feeling fulfilled. My life is full, and I feel fulfilled because I'm I'm fully aware, and fully appreciative, and fully connected to each moment of life. Fully seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, cognizing. So the the moment is full of conscious awareness. The minute is full. The hour is full, the day is full, the week is full, the decade is full. The life is full of conscious awareness, being aware, not living life as some sort of uh, going through the motions on automatic pilot, some sort of afterthought. Oh, that was my life. It just happened. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Missed out. <laughs> Don't worry. You'll get it. you get one again, except you won't remember it and you won't be you. <laughs> So certainly uh, be being mindful and secondly, then uh, being wise. And certainly the more mindful we are, then the more we feel and see things accurately, the more connected we are to life, to see and understand things which develops wisdom. So living wisely and uh, living wisely means we're going to be less stressed, less, less upset, less confused, less overwhelmed, less wasting again time and energy. Thirdly, it might be to, uh, to live with joy, whatever, whatever time we have left, whether it's like, okay, I'm sorry to say, but uh, uh, you only have a month left to live, or I'm sorry to say you're going to live for the next 50 years, well, live with joy. So and that can be engaged consciously. This Saturday gone, we had a, a meditation day here, urban retreat on uh, gratefulness. So developing the quality, the attitude, the experience of gratefulness, which I also refer to as appreciative joy. So being able to, uh, to live consciously connecting to life with appreciative joy, not caught in the only if or, or wanting and, and willing and waiting and moaning and groaning and reacting and resisting and struggling into life, but a sense of appreciative joy for, for what we do have and, and what is, what is good and what is good enough. So that, that also potentially becomes a healing balm psychologically, but also, um, yes, emotionally and especially physiologically because the biochemicals of joy 
appreciative joy, gratefulness, gladness, really, really healingful, even protective for the immune system, enhancing the immune system. So increasing longevity through that, those thoughts, mental state, emotion, mood state, way of being, relating into life, appreciative joy, gratefulness, gladness. We may also uh, choose to, um, to do some things, some activities, some special things that we may have thought, oh, I'll do this when I get around to it. I'll do this later when I get around to it. And um, if you haven't got around to it, maybe you can ask for one for your birthday. Mm -hmm. I'd like to around to it, please. Not a square to it, around to it. Okay. <laughs> and once you get around to it, then you can do all these things. I've finally got around to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I can do it. <laughs> uh, otherwise known as a bucket list. <laughs> starting on the bucket list, but uh, engaging some of these things, and especially especially um, with the time that we have left, and, and maybe even, again, as a reflection, even if, even if there's not some prognosis of, oh, uh, you only have a certain amount of time to live, um, but the sense of, well, hey, these things that I would like to do, why not, why not do them as much as I can now? Because you never know, life may change, and you can't do them or do them so easily. Remember, uh, before I left Sydney, my partner Hannah and I uh, lived over at, uh, in the eastern suburbs at Darling Point, and um, there was a thought that we would leave Sydney. We had bought this uh, property up on the far north coast, New South Wales, and, um, and then deciding to sell out of Sydney, move out of Sydney, and, uh, and uh, mm -hmm. Hannah putting her apartment on the, the market. So it was like, ah, okay, now let's, let's do some of the things that we uh, always wanted to do, which was like get a seaplane and um, fly around the harbour, um, walk the harbour bridge, um, a few things like this. Did we do them? No, <laughs> because we didn't have a round to it. <laughs> And now it's sure we can do it, but it's it's a lot more difficult living outside of Sydney. So uh, some of the things that uh, you, you know you may have thought about doing, ask yourself, hey, well, why not now? Don't don't wait. Make it happen now, because again, you never know how long one has, or one's life situation may change. Then also it may be uh, as well something important to do would be to heal, heal any uh, relationships that um, are problematic where there is some sort of issue that's been uh, um, holding one back, limiting connection, or maybe the connection was there but it was a bad connection irritation, frustration, disappointment, overwhelm, confusion. So there may be the possibility of um, uh, either offering forgiveness or asking for forgiveness to uh, create a finishing of business, the finishing of business of the resentment, of the frustration, of the disappointment, of the anger, of the resentment in whatever way. 
So healing, healing one's mind, heart, healing the relationship. So there's a sense of letting go, which certainly may be for ourselves, but also for the other person as well. So healing, healing relationships. And again, that's, that may be another thing. Well, why wait? Why wait until we're on our deathbed to go, oh, maybe I'll make that phone call to that person that I've been um, upset with for the last 25 years, still holding on to the anger from 25 years ago because he got, the, uh, he got um, uh, something that I wanted or she got something I wanted. Maybe it's one's brother or sister. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, being able to heal and let, let go. And that can be a great, a great relief. Uh, a breath of fresh air. Maybe one breathes a bit easier in that. And certainly, uh, together with all these things, then to um, uh, the cumulative effect of these, enabling and enhancing clarity or insight into ultimate reality and then maybe the the realization or maybe uh, in a, a better word would be the revelation of ultimate reality truth freedom enlightenment enlightenment before before the body dies so that as something which I would recommend to to um, enable, because uh, uh, the last words of the Buddha, so fully enlightened human being, two and a half thousand years ago, uh, a Buddha, which is is not just a fully enlightened human being, but a Buddha is um, a human being that has realized full, complete spiritual enlightenment by their own efforts, not relying on the teachings of another enlightened person. So quite special. And after 45 years of teaching, whilst um, in the short time before his passing or death or parinibbana, his last words were, or his last words weren't, Nirvana's great, um, or um, this life is so blissful, or um, 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 sorry guys, I've got to leave now. His last words were a, a motivation, an inspiration, a uh, both a declaration and um, 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 quite sure what word to, to use, but a declaration and a and a enthusiastic motivation to realize reality. And the words were um, all things are impermanent. Realize enlightenment with earnestness or with diligence. So the statement everything's impermanent. So realize, realize reality, ultimate reality, truth. Enlightenment with earnestness. Don't wait. Don't don't hang around waiting for a round to it. Make it happen now. Not just 
I think I'll get enlightened when I'm when I'm on my deathbed, and then I can then I then I can really so I can give up things. Then I'd like to indulge for the rest of my life, and then just on my last last breath, okay, I give up, I let go. You can have it all. <laughs> it's like why why wait? Another another thing that relates to um, not just the last. Uh, some time before we die, but um, to live life now in an enlightened way, but also to realize enlightenment. And like, like the Buddha, the Buddha fully enlightened and then lived for 45 years after that. So that's possible as well. And one doesn't need to become a Buddhist monk or nun for that. There was, there's plenty of... Um, Stories in the Buddhist scriptures about uh, lay people, people, householders, that also became fully enlightened, fully realized. So don't wait to think, oh, when I get to be old, then I might ordain as a Buddhist monk or a nun. You can ordain as a Buddhist monk or a nun when you're young. <laughs> or, or not at all, that's fine. But certainly... Uh, wake up and realize reality and and then live live from peace live from from ultimate joy happiness the work the spiritual work of being a human being is you know is done then sense of completion interestingly in traditional asian culture uh, in the the third phase of a person's life. And the first phase is uh, being born, growing up, getting educated, and um, taking on a partner. Second phase is um, with one's partner having children, if you like, and working, and working, and working, and then retiring. And then the third phase is uh, having retired, spending more time in focusing on spiritual practice. And so at that point, uh, the person, the retired person, may maybe ordains as a as a monastic in into Buddhism or into into Hinduism or some spiritual tradition, devoting their their time to. Uh, realizing reality and truth, given that they've they've fulfilled their duties of raising a family and working and so forth, and especially when the body is is less of a comfortable thing to be hanging out in, so focusing on on spiritual truths and realities and uh, and peace and happiness, or they may simply spend time on retreat in monasteries, not actually ordain, but spend time on retreat or visit. A monastery on a regular basis, so daily basis. When I was in Thailand, in the northeast, in the monastery there, there was uh, the older people retired. They would uh, come to the monastery every day, bring some food, talk to the monks, ask some questions, and so it was part of their their um, um, learning and develop and preparation for for. Um, for realizing truth and also preparation for death as well. 
because their mind is less caught into the body, I am the body, this is my body, I am the body, and it's all about my body existence, but actually inclining the mind towards that which is spiritual, which is certainly preparation for then letting go of the body when it's, when it's, when it's dying or is, uh, is about to. But again, that doesn't have to be something which uh, we wait for. It may be something which we can engage now, regular meditation practice, attending like a, attending a meditation group on a, a weekly basis, visiting a monastery, going on retreats, reflecting upon spiritual truths with, with regards to impermanence and uh, the reality, the fabric of existence, understanding not-self, teachings on not-self, the, the fact there's no no permanent personal identity beyond the, the mental construct of that. So these are, again, some, some pointers that could certainly be used in preparation for um, the period leading up to the end of life. But at the same time, they're, they're things that one could, could be engaged upon and done anytime, right now. Even though a lot of life is to be lived, they may also enhance our quality and experience of life as well. So probably many of you are already engaging upon these, these practices and activities and perceptions, which is good. But just as a reminder to see, well, what else could I do? There's that little uh, phrase that I mention at times, that uh, Buddhist phrase, in the um, Pali language, Katambutasa meratindiva viti patantiti pabajitena abinhang pachawekitabang. The days and nights are relentlessly passing. How well am I spending my time? This should be frequently reflected upon by spiritual practitioners. So, yes, the days and nights are relentlessly passing. They're not slowing down. They might, they might even feel like they're getting, getting faster, passing faster. So they're, they're passing. So the reflection is, how well am I spending my time? Am I happy with how I'm using my precious time, my precious time of life, my lifetime? Because my lifetime is made up of days and they are passing. Do I feel fulfilled in that? Am I using my time well? Or am I like throwing money away, wasting my time energy, which I can never get back again, those days are gone. Hopefully plenty to come, but those ones that are gone, they're gone. So a, a, an advocation to uh, really live life mindfully and consciously. Especially since we're now into May, it's like, wow, fifth month of the year already. <laughs> Another month, June, June and a bit, so um, a month and a bit, it'll be the middle of the year. And then we'll say, in six months' time, it'll be 2017. Ah. <laughs> so uh, certainly uh, that point of getting ready, getting real, 
waking up to, to now and living consciously. So any thoughts, questions, or maybe even insights for yourself, especially in the, the last few minutes of the meditation where we invited the, the heart to respond to the question, if I did only have a few uh, or a short time to live, whether it was a, a, a few months or a few weeks or even a few days, then, then what would I need to do? What do I want to do? How would I spend my time? What's important? Anyone like to share what uh, might have come up for them or any, any questions? I'm interested in a minute if you would answer, if you, you know, not that we would wish this for you, but if you had a month to live, you know, what would you do? But, um, as, I, as I just said. As, um, as I asked the heart, uh, the, the first thing I'd want to do would be make amends to anybody I'd hurt. Mm. Um, and I hope I'd, I hope I'd remember them, you know, fairly quickly. Um, the second thing is, you know, you could, you could go traveling the world, but I think, you know, the more interesting journey is going from the head to the heart and, and that still could be, you know, fairly difficult. Mm, so mm. I don't sense I want to watch a lot of television and, but, um, you know, there was a fa famous um, quote that did the rounds. I think the lady was 85. If I had my time all over again, I'd make more mistakes, I'd smell more flowers, mm. I'd be kind to people. And um, a book that influenced me six or seven years ago called, you know, The Five Regrets That People Who Are Dying Have seemed to be, um, you know, spending time with the family, um, laughter, you know, and sharing mm. sort of good memories. Um, I think it would be very simple, but for me, I think it would be something around completion. Mm. So I'd write, I'd write, write, want to write a long letter to my kids, or if there were no grandchildren on the horizon, something that was in a sealed envelope for yeah. some time down the track. That's probably enough for mm. me. Mm. Good. Faye. Yeah. I think at this time of life, you certainly decide if you, it's ready time for a change, push it along a bit, um, and relationships, and building on patience. I think if I look down that um, mm. list there, but, and just picking up on um, Stephen about writing a, a letter for grandchildren or whatever, I was watching a documentary. Um, where they interviewed the Alan and the Q and I, and his mother died when he was six. And it was in those days, nobody talked. I remember this from my nurse. Mm. You don't tell people that they're dying because it's you know, not too painful. They don't, I don't know. They you. And they were forced not to talk. <laughs> but his mother didn't, and the father didn't talk. So when she died, it was all cover up. Mm. Nobody talked to anybody. And this little six-year-old was lost and he said mum didn't get a chance to write this letter I don't know if she wanted yeah. to didn't want to or she hasn't and you, you hear about people writing oh, I've started writing my letter to mm. my children just in case I don't or making a video or making a, a, a video um, and he was saying that would have been nice sure yeah if she'd had that opportunity mm. it's certainly when I'm working with clients that um, 
um, have a prognosis of not too much time to live, then I, I do recommend that they do write or uh, make an audio uh, recording or a video um, re recording for their um, children or friends or family that they will leave behind, which can also serve them the purpose of of certainly having a focus, but also reflecting upon, I, I, ask, I ask people, why not share the, the learnings of your life? Um, maybe use this time to reflect upon what you've learned. So some point of wisdom that you can offer to, uh, to uh, your children, grandchildren, that's, that can be helpful for them. And so that um, that's, that's part of a legacy which lives on for them to help them in their life. And do then people take that? Ah, yes, yes, they do. Yeah. Suppose for me, as we strangely been among Jesuits and Dominicans and so on since I grew up, death was you know historicality, all these kind of conceptions. Death was always a kind of presence. In one of the church I go, the skulls and bones mm, mm. around the altars and there are people that are dead. So I grew up with this kind of perception that contrary to probably because of Catholic and very dark Catholic version that death is part of life mm. and I never felt particularly scared or concerned or but I think more because of this education for which um, you perceive as that is the route uh, that, that you go for. I don't know what kind of impact has had on me. I'm probably sure say they produce a, a dark vision and pessimistic mind that call more realistic. But is I think that the things that happen is that the problem is for me is not death per se. I never seen a dead body struggling. Mm. Um, it's more the sufferings that come through it, sure, the yeah, process yeah. that might be scary, mm. um, because there I've seen it, but as death, uh, at the end is calm. That's right, yeah. It's quiet, that's the end. Um, I think that the operation <coughs> for me would be much more difficult to prepare to mm. the element of pain mm. and dignity, I think, is one of the big problems. Um, mm. Well, certainly with that, uh, hopefully, medical science can be helpful for the physical side of things, but the spiritual or psychological yeah, si side, we have to do that a lot of that ourselves. So it's preparing our mind, heart to be not afraid and receptive and, yeah. um, and then also not being caught into regret, knowing that we have lived well and we have used this last time in a conscious way and you know, with many of the things that I've mentioned. And so there may, there, whilst there may be some degree of physical discomfort um, or indignity, but psychologically, there's 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 peace and um, the mind is uh, accepting of of what's going on. Galit. Yeah, I just find quite a relevant topic and uh, actually extremely relevant for me because I. Uh, started a relatively new job like two months ago and I really struggle in this job and for me, you know, if I would know that I have another, I don't know, year or two weeks or whatever, I would definitely won't be there. 
<laughs> probably go to the beach and have fun and spend time with my kids and uh, of that's uh, how I would uh, like to live my life mm. but uh, I have another head which is a parent a single parent and uh, responsibilities mm. and providing income and so it's quite quite interesting you know because sometimes there are some compromises mm. in life. Yeah. So it's quite interesting, you know, where you compromise and how you compromise. Mm. It was really quite a relevant topic for me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so we live, we live with that, that uh, until we have some type of um, knowledge of how long we have left to live. But we tend to live as if we are going to live quite some time and make decisions based upon that. Because again, as you're suggesting, if if you knew that you didn't have much time to live, then you'd very you'd change some of your how you're spending your time. It was a great um, challenge for many people that were diagnosed with AIDS yeah. back in the the 90s or the 80s and, and the 90s, because uh, the prognosis was not good at all with the diagnosis, and so they would go, okay, well. I, I don't have, I've only got a few years to live then, I'm going to stop work, I'm going to spend my money, I'm going to travel, I'm going to sort of um, um, live it up. And then medical science sort of came on board and said, well, actually, we've now got some medication, we can help you live longer. Then they got, then they were, the dilemma of like, well, I've spent my money. I thought I was only, only going to live for a year. What do I do now? <laughs> and that's why I think really important to prepare our mind for for that sort of thing. So if if um, if we don't have much time left and and we can do things, fine. But if if uh, we can't, then at least the mind isn't caught into distress and an overwhelm. There's a sense of accommodating the reality of of what's going on, and and hopefully the ability to to meditate and to have a wisdom perspective onto onto life sort of a bit like a retreat. So on, on a retreat, you're not doing too much at all, but just living very simply and moving around slowly and and so forth. That, but it can be very, very calming and getting one into in touch with sort of the fabric of existence, which often the distraction of the bucket list can, can um, sort of take one away from. John, it's interesting, uh, my uh, niece died about 10 years ago of cancer, age 17. Wow. And um, and it wasn't like a car crash where one minute of it had gone. It went over about, a, about an eight-month period. And she planned her funeral. Um, and she was very calm by the end. Mm. But the interesting thing was, so, so she was in a good place and all the things that she wanted to do. She generally did within that time time frame. Mm. But my sister and her husband were were a complete mess. Mm. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, in a sense, that my niece had had the calmness, but the people around. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, that that's an interesting point. You wonder then, uh, in a in a situation. Maybe not for your niece, but uh, for for someone else. If they knew that uh, they didn't have that much time to live, and they get themselves prepared, 
then maybe also part of that preparation could be preparing the people around them for that reality as well. I was talking to somebody um, yesterday about this who uh, still is grieving the loss of his wife in a significant way after six years now and um, gets gets quite depressed and um, and so I spoke to him about well she had cancer and I said did did, um, did you talk about what you would do um, when she you know, when when she would have died and so that like, as in she giving you permission to 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 live and to be able to have have joy and maybe to meet somebody else and and he said oh we didn't really talk about that and so he's sort of stuck in this this mental mental sort of mental set of of um, not being fully able to move forward because she didn't give him permission to to and there's a sense even though it's been six years a sense of like oh that would be sort of not faithful to her even though he's got a lot of life still to live and he's quite healthy but um, the preparing ones preparing people around you for you not being there um, can be part of that that preparation that one is engaging upon oneself, helping others to know how to be and to how to think and feel and behave um, in that last time and also how to be after one's life has gone as well. Yes, yeah, so I, I recommend that um, when there's uh, a diagnosis of um, illness that could could potentially be life-threatening, then to to take that process of, of healing, uh, which is healing, ideally healing the body, but also it's a psychological healing, it's a spiritual healing. Uh, and so even if the body doesn't manifest healing, at least the mind-heart is healed. So healed from being overwhelmed by fear and distress and confusion and anger and disappointment. Uh, and I recommend for people to, to see their role, uh, and often they may have been very busy people, professionally very busy, um, often stressed, but to see their role now as a healer and healing from within and healing into the fullness of life in the present and to um, see their life somewhat as a retreat. So being on retreat and uh, uh, a little bit like a, a meditation retreat or a Buddhist retreat or even like being ordained as a Buddhist monastic, and especially if a person has an illness like cancer where they lose their hair, you're going to ordain as a Buddhist monastic, you're going to lose your hair. You're going to have um, dietary restrictions. You're going to be doing meditation. You're going to be wearing clothes you wouldn't otherwise be wearing. And sometimes people, with uh, when they're going through cancer, they, they wear different clothes because they look different, they feel different. Um, they're um, adopting a, a routine and regime that is prescribed by somebody else, often oncologists and, and so forth. And as in like monastics, uh, you've got to live the monastic routine and um, focusing on things that are more pertinent to, to uh, the reality of life. So monastics focus on impermanence and, and death and living consciously and mindfully and and, and often people experiencing an illness like cancer do so as well. In terms of the books that they would read, um, they're not reading sort of Mary Poppins, they're me reading sort of 
stuff about life and death and uh, Buddhism and existential things, maybe as well as the Mary Poppins <laughs> or the fun stuff, but, uh, but certainly things that help them to develop a philosophical perspective on, on life as well. So it becomes a, a process and, and, and often people say they, they feel or maybe after the case felt more alive going through that process than they did before because uh, life was just sort of, again, on the hop, going through the motions, on, on automatic pilot, caught up in the mind, not really present, but uh, something like um, uh, a physical illness that may be life-threatening brings them right into now, sort of like now you get focused. A lot of the superficiality of life falls away. A lot of the pettiness falls away, which, which certainly again does when one maybe doesn't have much you know, time to live, a lot of the stuff you start to prioritize, what's really important here. So um, there's certainly a lot more that could be said and, re and reflected upon around uh, this, this topic. Uh, it's certainly something which I think needs more discussion, reflection and openness and um, understanding uh, in, our, in our society, in our culture and helping everyone to be more prepared for this reality in terms of uh, being with other people in our lives that are going through uh, this uncertainty and uh, um, or, or certainty about maybe when their life is going to end, but also to be able to engage it for ourselves as well. And for the most part, to live more mindfully and consciously in whatever uh, moments and minutes and hours and days and weeks and years and decades that we do have still for living. So uh, reflect upon that further yourself. That's all for this episode. Until next time, head over to wellawareness.com.au and discover what's on offer for relieving stress and creating well-being. From individual counselling to relationship counselling to meditation groups and weekend retreats.